you're here, and, uh, and I just want to commend you. You're the cream of the crop. You're the rock stars that are uh, understanding that we need to be together. We want to be connecting with God, and our time over the next several months are going to be studying the book of what? John, that's right, you guys are on, and we are going to be going deep into the Word of God, and we're excited to do that. I want you to turn with me to our key verse uh, for this uh, series in John, is John chapter 20, verse 31. You might as well memorize it, and uh, so underline it, you maybe could work on memorizing it, it says, but these were written, uh, these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you're wondering why the Apostle John wrote the book of John, this answers the question. There's three key words here. There's the word earlier in verse 30, signs. The, the, in the, they did perform many other signs in the presence of the disciples. They were written that you may believe. So signs lead to belief, and then belief leads to life. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I just want to encourage you that, uh, that this is the pattern that we're going to see over and over with within the book of John. Now today, we're going to move into chapter 2, and I believe God has a great word for us, but I want to just bring a, a little background. We've studied the prologue at this point, chapter 1, uh, really describing and answering the question, who is Jesus? And then we're going to use the rest of the uh, chapters in the book of John to understand that fully. But who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. John the Baptist understood this, he recognized it, and he was considered the, to be the greatest man to ever live. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the first to preach Jesus. He was the first one to say, look, there's the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He's the first one to recognize it. And when he recognized it, it's interesting, as you read the, the uh, chapter 1, uh, then his disciples, John the Baptist, his disciples said, See you later, John. This is the Messiah. I'm going to go follow him. And we saw that with Andrew and Peter and Pastor Pete talked about that last week. And then by the end of chapter one, Jesus picked up a couple other disciples, Philip and Nathaniel. And so now Jesus is, is working, uh, and, uh, but, uh, and he's uh, kind of moving into a place where his public ministry is now becoming a reality. So we see chapter 1 as the verbal testimony of Jesus. And it's important that we see this kind of in, in big structure. So chapter 1 is the verbal testimony of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the light. He's the life. We talked about those things a couple weeks ago. And now we're going to move into the section from chapter 2 to chapter 12 of Jesus' public ministry. And today is the breakout message for that. The first sign, the first miracle, and we'll, we'll get there. But then chapter 13 through 17 is the private ministry of Jesus with him and his disciples, by and large. And then the 18 through 21 is the death and resurrection, post-resurrection, and, uh, and that's good. But when we come to chapter 2, which we're going to study today a bit, uh, we see the works of Jesus kind of coming to life. And uh, there's actually only, the word is used, uh, signs or miracles. There are seven miracles in the book of John that are, and they're very strategic. We see the wa water uh, turning into wine. We're going to study that this morning, chapter 2. We see a dying man healed in chapter 4. Chapter 5, it's at the pool of Bethesda. The paralyzed man uh, gets uh, function again. 
A wonderful story. Chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. At the end of chapter 6, Jesus is walking on water. Pretty cool miracle. Um, And chapter 9, someone receives their sight. Um, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. And then Jesus, his own resurrection is a miracle in itself in chapter 20. And then the last miracle, Jesus provides a great breakfast brunch on the beach uh, and uh, with, with no provision. He wasn't out fishing all night and the guys come in and Jesus had a whole breakfast prepared. It's a cool miracle how God provides. But all of these signs, these miracles, the, the seven things, uh, they all point to Jesus. And there's no way humanly possible to explain Jesus other than the fact that he has to be God. He has to be God. Now, we're going to talk about miracles this morning. And uh, I know that there is a lot of bad teaching on miracles. Uh, Inappropriate, maybe, or maybe they stretch the truth or uh, kind of can become abusive. So I want to talk just for a moment about what miracles are not before we read this great story of the wine or the water turning into wine. The first thing that a miracle is not is miracles are not on demand. You may have heard it called name it, claim it theology. Um, That is not what miracles are. Jesus is not a genie in the bottle. We do not manufacture miracles. And so we want to be careful as children of God not to overpromise. It's really the sovereignty of God, how he chooses to work. And so when it comes to healings or prosperity or even a heavy heart where there needs to be a touch from the Lord, we want to be careful how we approach those circumstances. Otherwise, it can be hurtful, certainly can be wrong. And and so miracles are not on demand. What miracles are not also? Miracles are, is not miracles back then, not now. And uh, it's kind of a weird way to say that, but uh, the idea is that miracles are for today. In our Western culture, uh, we, if we can't prove it scientifically, uh, there's an arrogance uh, in a lot of uh, our minds, and maybe we even understand that or kind of feel that here. Uh, but um, listen, there is something supernatural about our God. And we can't always explain it from a natural standpoint. And at the Gateway Church, we believe in answered prayer. Amen. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. We believe in the supernatural. In fact, I believe that Jesus works primarily in two ways supernaturally in the life of believer of a believer. The first way is a providence way, a providential, uh, the kind of natural things, natural time and decisions um, that were just kind of natural in the course of time are brought into our lives to bring about the will of God in our lives. Just a quick example, I used to buy and sell a lot of cars um, when I was in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, there I can tell you story after story where uh, someone needed a vehicle and the Lord provided a bunch of steps for, for my family to kind of acquire a vehicle and then to make that transfer. And it's the providential nature of God that he works in ways. And you think about it, 8 billion people on earth that God is orchestrating in the natural time, natural place, that he, he makes connections. And, and many times we don't see it, but it's supernatural. God is working on your behalf in this way. But then there's this miraculous, the miracles as well. 
That's the second part, supernaturally, where God will interject his power into time and space. He interrupts and does the supernatural. Uh, That's unexplainable, and uh, it may not even be what we expect. But what's important for us to understand with these miracles is that the goal is, number one, always to glorify God. That's the goal, number one. If it's not bringing glory to Jesus, it's wrong. It's, it's not God, right? And so we want to make sure we understand that and facilitate that. The second thing is these miracles will build our faith. It, bring, it provides faith inside of us. Turn with me to John chapter 14, and uh, I want to read a section of Scripture here that just kind of, I hope, is an encouragement. And as we read this, I want you to begin this morning, if you haven't already, to think about your need. What is the great need in your life? What is the miracle that you may be believing for? And the truth of God's word, uh, I love this little section. It's really powerful. Jesus answers a question uh, about uh, showing him the Father, and he says this. He says, don't you know me, Philip? And remember, Philip was uh, one of the first to, to get on board. We talked about that last week. Pastor Pete did. Even after I've been among you for such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. This is a little background. And then he says, believe in me, verse 11. When I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See what I'm talking about? The signs. He says, believe at least in the signs. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works, that's the signs, the miracles I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See that? The bring glory to Jesus. You may ask, me for anything in my name verse 14 and i will do it and i pray that that builds our faith and builds builds our understanding and gives us an expectancy to say you know what god i i'm gonna believe i'm gonna stand on your word that i can come to you with anything if i pray it according to your will uh that 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 you're gonna work on our behalf isn't that an incredible promise and uh and we want to understand that fully as we move through the book of john Well, let's look at uh, John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, verse number 5, we get the key scripture, the key idea for this section, uh, for the first 11 verses. And I want to just read this because this is where we're going to kind of land. In verse 5, it says, His mother said to the servants, and then it says this, Do whatever he tells you. This should be our mission statement, Pastor Bobby, right? We should put everybody here on that plan. Do whatever he tells you to do, right? Obedience over disobedience. That should be our model. That should be our life verse. If you're into tattoos, maybe that's one you should get tattooed right on your forehead. I don't know. Uh, That would be great. And in the next, in these first 11 verses, we're going to see the truth of that that idea kind of come to life. And so let's dive into it. The first is this. Do whatever he tells you, no matter where you are let's look at verse one and two says on the third day chapter two verse one a a wedding took place at cana in galilee 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, what we have just read is third, on the third day, uh, the next third day, a wedding took place. So at this point in the book of John, we have now seen a full week in the life of Jesus. If we go back from chapter 1 and into seven-day sequence in the life of Je- of, with Jesus. At this point, Jesus' mother was there, right? And, uh, and his mother was attending to the uh, wedding, and so it kind of assumes or, uh, that, that there was a close relative or a friend that she was, because she wanted to care and kind of take care, and we'll see that in a moment. So we're assuming that Jesus knew the people that were there. It was Nathaniel's hometown, who was one of the disciples of Jesus at this point. And I want you to notice uh, that Jesus is with his disciples. His disciples are kind of with him at this point, and they are not in church. They're not at a prayer meeting. They're not at a life group or a connect group, right? They're not, where are they? They're at a wedding. Jesus is about to perform his first miracle, his first sign, one of seven that John talks about, at a wedding. Church, there's no place a miracle cannot happen. There's no place a miracle is not appropriate. At your work, at school, at the lake, wait, it's the winter, when you're ice fishing, right? (laughs) Or when you're downhill skiing, or in your neighborhood, or in your home, a miracle is always appropriate. God can and does whatever and wherever at church, right? He works here. Am I in the right place, right? He works here. But he's going to work at the restaurant after church today, too. When you're out, a miracle can happen. And so do whatever he tells you, no matter where you are. And so we want to watch for that. We want to be uh, uh, bold in our faith and not be afraid. That leads us to a second thing. Do whatever he tells you, right? Even in the midst of your problems. Let's look at it. Verse 3 says, when the wine was gone when the wine was gone now wine take a little side note here uh, is not condemned in scripture um, i don't believe Um, it's actually encouraged at times Uh, i my family and the staff uh, we abstain from uh, drinking alcohol uh, really for the sake of example and so we we are uh, abstainers Uh, but but you know bible talks about wine Uh, But in this case, it says the wine was gone, and this was big trouble. This was a big deal. Uh, The culture uh, where this was taking place, uh, wine was the uh, staple drink. Uh, They would uh, not be able to drink water uh, because it was not healthy to do so, and so they would combine water with a fermented drink. There was a, a mixture made there. And it was a necessity, especially at a wedding. Uh, and it wasn't like if they ran out, they could just you know, go down to the local Walgreens or Walmart and uh, get a two-liter, right? Uh, that, that, wasn't kind of, that wasn't the case. It was a big deal. And so the wine was gone, and I want you to notice, it was gone at a wedding. 
And when we think of a wedding today in our culture, kind of comes and goes, it happens in a day. Uh, my sister's uh, daughter got married earlier this year, and uh, it was a joyous occasion, but it was a one-day event. Well, in the Bible, it was quite the process. It actually, uh, in the Bible, a wedding started with two parents, actually. Parent meets parent. They arrange their kids to get married. And boy, you know, my daughter's 17, and I'm thinking maybe this is a good idea. We should revert back. No, I'm just kidding, Reagan. <laughs> She's looking at me like, what are you talking about? But anyway, it was arranged. Then there was a betrothal uh, period of one to three years where the guy would have been about 14 to 16 years old. The, the girl would have been 12 to 14, typically. And it was in that one to three years that the young man would prepare for his wife. I mean, it was a big deal. He'd be adding on to his family's house so, he, so him and his wife would have a place to stay. He'd be saving up for the wedding. And when the wedding came, it wasn't a one-day event. It was a week-long festival. It was a celebration. And it was the groom's responsibility to make sure that the guests were provided for. Sean Schlegel, I, I, I figured if you were here today, I'd just pause here. How many girls do you have? Six. How many, let's, just, let's just believe with Sean that in the next few years, the shift in America is going to change to the groom being responsible for all those guests. Brother, I pray for you. <laughs> and uh, six girls, Lord help them. But anyway, but otherwise, if, if, the, if the groom wasn't providing, the bride's family could actually sue, bring a litigation against that family, and the wedding would be off. And so when it says the, the wine was gone, it was a catastrophic event. That's what I want you to, to understand. It was a big deal. It was a big problem. And I want you to just think in your own life, what are you facing? What kind of problems are you facing today? And it may not be a big state issue or a countrywide deal, but it's a problem to you. What is the problem that you're facing? And we want to learn this morning that the appropriate response is to take it to Jesus, right? Do whatever he tells you, take it to Jesus. The third truth that we see here is that we are called to do whatever he tells us, whatever Jesus tells you, even if you're not encouraged. And this is a little interesting. I'll try to explain it. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 and 5. It says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, They have no more wine. Woman, why, are you, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. What I want you to see here is that Mary is not being encouraged by Jesus at this point. She's not being encouraged at all. What's going on? Well, the first thing you might notice is that Jesus calls his mom woman, right? When you read that, how many are thinking, bad move, right? <laughs> but I do want you to know when you study that, it's not disrespectful. In fact, Jesus said the very same thing. Woman is really a point of compassion. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, woman, here is uh, John, he's going to take care of you at the end of, uh, of his life when he's on the cross. Uh, and, uh, and so it was not disrespectful, but there was a distinction. A change was made here. Jesus is now stepping into his calling. And he's not only uh, G Mary's son, it's not, she's not uh, his son. Uh, but what I want you to see is that Jesus is now identifying more as 
her savior. And so he calls her a woman. And it's, it would be a compassionate woman. The other thing he says here is that he says, my hour has not come. My hour has not come. He says this seven times in the book of John. He's speaking of his future destiny. And we don't have time to explore that this morning, but we will look at that later on in the book of John. But what I want you to see <clears throat> for this morning is that Mary is not being encouraged. What do you think Mary was expecting in this case? How many just, just by a show of hands would say, you think that Mary was expecting a miracle? Anybody think that maybe? Yeah, maybe? Well, probably not, actually. <laughs> uh, it, but Jesus was a go-to guy, had to have been growing up. Uh, he was proven to be a good thinker. And uh, at this point, uh, most people, uh, when you study this, they, they would understand that Joseph was probably, uh, had died, uh, or certainly by the time Jesus was on the cross, uh, Joseph was out of the picture. Uh, one commentator said this, think of it this way, whenever Mary had a problem, who do you think she went to for the solution at home? Uh, Jesus never had a bad idea in his life. He never had a wrong solution in his entire life. He never led her to one step in the wrong direction. Jesus had the perfect solution in every dilemma. He had to have the perfect answer for every predicament. Everything that ever went wrong in the house, as commentator, commentator said, he knew why it went wrong and how to make it right, right? He was the most wise, intelligent, resourceful person that had ever lived and ever will live. And he was, that's who Mary was calling on. He, she would have understood that. She would have lived with that. Just think if you're one of Jesus' brothers, man. You'd be like, man, I hate that guy. He's always getting it right. But that's the, that's the, that's the case. And it's safe to say when you read John chapter 2 here that Mary trusted Jesus. Can we agree on that? Right? She would have trusted him. And today you may feel discouraged right? You may feel down. Your need might be facing you right in the face. You may not understand. You, can, you may not be able to, uh, to see the full picture, but you can trust Jesus. You can trust him. When I was at my uh, grandma's funeral, one of my aunts gave a testimony of when she was uh, 11 or 12 years old. She was in the hospital. They thought my aunt Dara was going to die. And back in those days, my, uh, they wouldn't let the parents stay in the room with a child overnight, and so they had to go home. And my Aunt Dar told the story of how she remembered my grandma when she was 11 years old. Uh, my grandma told my aunt, she asked her, she said, can you trust Jesus when we're gone? Can you trust that Jesus is here? And it was a really cool story. And what's interesting, it comes full circle. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Because my aunt, in the last days where my grandma was suffering and really suffered bad, and was just very painful, my aunt was able to, to hear my grandma, literally, leaning over a garbage can, um, puking, saying under her breath, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. And in those last few days, my Aunt Dar would say, Mom, <laughs> Grandma, uh, we still we trust Jesus no matter what. And Mary, she had that kind of trust. And she went to Jesus, and it's really a neat story. And I believe that Jesus loves that kind of trust. Jesus is not indifferent to you, to your circumstances. You don't have to understand to see him work in your life. Isn't that the truth? 
And that leads us to that final truth that we need to do whatever he tells you, even if you don't understand the process. Let's look at the process. This is an interesting story when you start to look at it. Verses, verse 6. It says, Nearby stood six water, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Let me pause there. What do we see here? We see some servants. Uh, the, uh, some commentators believe that the servants would have known Jesus, known of Jesus, and it's very possible. Uh, Nazareth, where Jesus was raised, was nine miles from Cana, uh, and it could have been family members. And, uh, and so he certainly knows the servants uh, casually, at least. Uh, we also see that Jesus points out uh, stone water jars, and uh, the, these stone water jars would have been used for ritual cleaning, kind of preparing for a wedding or uh, cleaning up after uh, a lady's period or after a sickness. You would, you would use these jars to kind of become clean again. And we're talking 120 to 180 gallons of water, uh, a lot. And so Jesus is having these filled to the brim. And what I want you to see here is that, number one, is that miracles flow from what we have. And we're going to see this, and you see it throughout Scripture. They, this family had stone jars, right? Well, let's think back to the Old Testament. Moses had a rod in his hand. Gideon, they had jars. They had jars that they were going to crash and, and, uh, and be able to win the victory. David had a slingshot in his hand, right? The widow had oil, and then she collected more jars, right? The boy in the New Testament had five loaves, two fish. Miracles flow from what we have. And I want to ask you, what do you have? You have time, right? You have ability. You certainly have love, which is powerful. You have prayer. You have resources. You have a lot. When we consider your need, I want you to remember that Miracles flow from what you have. There's another component here that miracles also flow from active faith. From active faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, um, if you want to turn there, uh, you can. I'm not going to read this. In my Bible, it says the whole section is called Faith in Action. And we kind of see and we kind of watch how Abel brought an offering. There was an active faith. Noah built the ark, an active faith. Uh, Abraham offered his son, right? So there's action there. Moses' mom uh, hid Moses. They, they, they did something. They were able to take what they had, but it was, there was action there. And in this story, in John chapter 2, Jesus could have just done the miracle on his own, but he chose to use others and used what was available, and he put their faith into action, right? So he's giving direction. It took strength uh, uh, to get the, those jars filled up. It took labor and effort, 180 gallons. I was thinking about that. I, it's, if we had 180 gallons of milk, uh, that's a lot of water, right? That's a, that's a lot of work that's being put into play here. And with miracles, it takes active faith at times, right? We do what we can do, and then God does the rest. But there's an activity there. And I love that, that, there's, uh, that miracles flow from this active faith. 
How, how many of you are familiar with the, the poem, Footprints in the Sand? You know, where you're kind of going along, and there's two sets of footprints, and then all of a sudden there's only one, and, uh, and the person complains, says, Jesus, where were you, right? And uh, he says, oh, I was carrying you during that season. Well, I found a version of that that takes a little different take, and I uh, wanted to read it. It's called Butt Prints in the Sand. I'm just saying, this is what it says. And we're talking about active faith here, okay? So there is a correlation. I'm not just wanting to say butt prints um, from the pulpit. <laughs> it says, one night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints were there were seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not alone on the shore or along the shore. But then some strange prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. <laughs> because in life, there comes a time, and this is the point, when one must fight, right? And one must climb. When, <laughs> when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. <laughs> and we're talking about active faith here. It takes some action on our part. We are part of the miracle in many cases. Let's get back uh, to uh, the story at hand. Uh, let's look at verse 8 and see what happens here. Then Jesus told them, he says, Now draw out, uh, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. That's the first instance where we see that happen. Then, or he says, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then they called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about that we need to do whatever he tells us even if we don't understand the process. If it doesn't make sense, and when you read this story, there were no grapes, there were no vines, no seeds, no sunlight, no water. Oh wait, there was 120 gallons of water, but there's no earth to plant this in. There was nothing there. And Jesus created wine out of nothing. He doesn't even say wine. It just, it just happens. It, it's not his spoken word. And you say, well, I don't understand that whole process. Well, the point, I think, is that it is not understanding what Jesus is going to do that will help you get your miracle. Right? Some people would say, oh, if I could just understand what God is doing, boy, that would really help or uh, that would really um, you know, move things along. Well, you can't understand everything God's doing. And even if you did understand or, or kind of knew the plan, it wouldn't help. We are called to believe Jesus and to actively live out our faith. That's what we're called to do. And by the way, when Jesus provides, how many know, he provides the absolute best. He brought excellence. He cared for that groom. 
with abundance. He's meeting people's needs. And let's look at what happens in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs or miracles through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. As a result of Jesus turning the water into wine, number one, Jesus is glorified. It says he revealed his glory. Remember, the point of John is, who is Jesus? And miracles bring glory to Jesus. They should always point to Jesus. The second thing that happened is a deeper faith. The belief in that his disciples believed in him. His disciples were already following, but at this point, they're saying, all right, I made the right choice. I can, I can really put my trust the disciples believed. It doesn't say that the servants believed or that the groom believed, and they probably did after the point. But we see here a shift from a verbal testimony, that's the Lamb of God, to now a sign, seeing signs, a miracle that's causing people to believe. And what's interesting about this, it's not, it doesn't say that the groom believed. I really thought this was interesting, that sometimes our problems are for someone else to see Jesus. Think about it for a second. The problem there in this little city of Cana, probably 500 to 1,000 people, kind of a podunk, just out of, the, out of the way town. And the problem was not for the groom to see Jesus, but for his disciples And then from there, they head on into full-time ministry. Sometimes our problems that we face, as hard as they are, they may not be for us, they may be for someone else to see Jesus be glorified through your circumstance, through my circumstance. And I know that's hard to swallow sometimes, And I didn't know that Caroline was going to be here this morning, but I can't help Dennis and Mary to believe that that tragedy nine, ten years ago now, right? Just ten years ago. That God is not going to receive glory and already has because of it. And I believe that God can touch Caroline this morning and uh, do a miracle. And uh, we want to stand in faith and believe that today. Sometimes our problems are for someone else to see Jesus at work. Today, I believe, as I've prayed and asked the Lord to just bless this message, this word, I believe that Jesus wants to be glorified here this morning. I believe that Jesus wants to increase your faith this morning through this story. And so what miracle do you need? What is the need that's pressing in your life? I want you to just uh, kind of be participatory here in the next moments here, and we're going to be working towards a response. But uh, I'm just wondering how many here this morning would say, you know, Pastor Ben, I've got a financial need 
uh, I have a need of provision in my life. If that's you, I want you just to stand right where you are. Just take a bold step, an active faith. I just want you to stand, all right? And uh, you won't be alone. So if, if that's you, you're saying, boy, I've got a financial need. Uh, I need some provision in my life in some way. All right, good. I want you to stand as well this morning if you have a relationship need. It could be something that's happening at work, and I felt that this morning as I was preparing and studying at my kitchen table, that uh, there may be someone, uh, that there's an issue at work that is just about uh, to drive you crazy, and you need uh, the Lord to intervene. Um, it could be something at home. It could be something with the kids. If you have a relational need this morning, I want you to stand right where you are. If there's something in a relationship need. Good. Yeah. The next section is really uh, dealing with sin. And this can be difficult to admit. But if there's a sin issue, something that you're struggling with, maybe an addiction, uh, and maybe no one even knows, but I'm just going to challenge you that there's freedom and it takes some active faith. And if you're struggling in that way, I want you to stand right where you are if you're dealing with some sin, if that's where your need is this morning. If you're here this morning and you need help in your schoolwork, I'm talking to those that are still in school, and you're saying, boy, that's... Uh, I, I'm really struggling in some way. I want you to stand this morning, just right where you are. Yeah. I was praying for you. I, th I thought about you, Rachel. If you're here this morning and you're sick, or you want to stand for someone that you're believing for a miracle, I'm going to just ask that you would stand this, mor this morning. You need a physical touch from the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, pastor, I, I need wisdom. I need a, a miracle of wisdom for a, a decision that's coming. Just felt like that certainly uh, could be the case. I want you to stand right where you are. If there's a decision that needs to be made, you need some wisdom. And the last area, and then we're going to all stand, but... Uh, if you have a wayward family member, a son or a daughter that doesn't know the Lord, or you have a spouse that is away from the Lord, or if you have uh, a, a family member or maybe even a close friend that you want to stand for that doesn't know Jesus, and that's the need uh, that, that they need, a, a spiritual touch, I want you to stand. And I, In fact, I just want everyone to stand this morning right where you are. We're going to set our hearts before the Lord. We're going to create some room to take our situation to add some active faith and belief. And so what we're going to do is Pastor Bobby's going to lead us in this song. And if you stand, if you're standing, or if you stood for one of those things, and even if you didn't and now you're standing, we want you to take a step and we wanted to just open these altars. You say, do I have to come to the altar? No, God can meet you right where you are. But there's something about taking a step 
getting out of your comfort zone. And I just want to encourage you that the altars are open. We're going to set our hearts before the Lord. And then we're going to come back and we're going to pray and believe together for miracles, for God to move, for God to be, for Jesus to be revealed, his glory to be revealed, and for our faith to grow. Amen? Amen. So let's move. And Pastor Bobby, why don't you lead us? Praise your name. Praise your name. I know a bunch of people move forward, which is great. I want to just encourage you, if you're here and you're, you saw someone move that you love or would like to just kind of put your arm around them and uh, believe with them, I'm just going to ask that you would move and let's just kind of connect with one another. Put your hand on someone's shoulder because when, uh, just in the next moment, we're going to pray and we're going to believe that God, the God who does miracles, He's going to intercept time and space on behalf of your need. No matter how big, no matter how small, uh, we believe that God can do it. And we're just going to ask Him to do it. Many of you stepped out believing. And so let's just ask God to do that right now. And so if you're here, would you move? Uh, and if you see someone, let's, let's put our hand on them. Let's believe together. And let's just bring our needs to the Lord. Come on, just in your own words, say, God, this is my need. This is what I need, Lord. This is what I perceive I need, at least, God. Would you move on our behalf, Lord? Would you touch us, God, with a supernatural power? God, would you heal the broken heart? Would you mend the relationship, God? Would you work a miracle in our homes, God? Lord, would you, God, help in our schoolwork? Would you bring wisdom, God? Would you help us with our sin, the things we can't seem to shake? God, we cast our cares on you. Lord, for our financial need, God, we're asking for provision. And with that, God, we know that provision comes with wisdom. And God, I pray that you just give a dose of wisdom today to those that need a financial miracle. And God, we pray for the wayward family member that we're praying, we're standing, Lord, today. We're believing, God, that you would do the ultimate healing, that you would save our sons and our daughters, that you would save our spouses, our aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas, that you would save our bosses and our co-workers, that you would save our neighbors. God, let it be. Let it be, God. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed here, we want to give an opportunity that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, or you're away from God in some way, we believe that the greatest miracle is when Jesus forgives us of our sins the reality is that one sin will keep you from heaven. One thing done wrong, one lie, one wrong word. But we also know that it's just one name that saves us. It's the name of Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you need that saving grace. I want you just to raise your hand. We want to pray for you. I want to lead you in a prayer. Who here the first service? needs to get their life right with, the, with God, needs salvation. Yeah, thank you. 
Who else this morning? There's one young lady. Anyone else this morning? For the sake of this one lady, uh, let's just, uh, would you participate in this prayer? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for all my sins, for all the bad choices I've made, the things I've done wrong. Clean up my heart, Lord. Put me in a right standing with you. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the beauty of the words of that, if we believe that type of prayer, the Bible says he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and we're forgiven. We can stand completely free from sin. We're covered in righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what God wants to do. I'm going to just ask that we would pray. Just uh, take another moment here. And uh, I know a few of you...